Our reading continues, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, reading from the Revised Standard Version. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Judeans. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And from James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of God's own purpose, God gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of God's creatures. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. Are you inclined to fault Nicodemus for not understanding Jesus? 
The word that is used here, translated as understand, is a word that is itself prone to misunderstanding. For though it can be used as a reference to knowledge as of the intellect, the range of meaning is much broader and denotes also the wisdom of the body, intuition, and of the senses, the deep-down kind of knowing that we call discernment, and the ongoing process of learning that is itself another word for discipleship. By coming to visit Jesus, Nicodemus is at the very least curious to share a conversation with the teacher from Nazareth. And he comes at night, which in the minds of the gospel writer is a code word for secrecy. Inasmuch as Nicodemus may desire to share with Jesus in the genuine exchange of ideas, he is not ready yet to do so publicly. After all, he is a ruler among the people in Judea, a phrase that indicates not only the privilege of his opinions and authority, but is also very likely a reference to his upbringing and education. Nicodemus is a person of many advantages in society, a man of power and money and influence, who would have much to lose were he to become reckless in his affiliations. What might they say, his family, friends, and acquaintances, were they to discover that he even was interested in hearing what the poor, itinerant rabbi had to say? And yet he finds himself captivated. So in spite of the risks to his own reputation, Nicodemus went anyway, without ever knowing whether Jesus would even be interested in meeting with him. But in fact, he is. Nicodemus does his best from the very beginning to lay his cards out on the table, nothing to hide. Let's just get right down to it. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Were we to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt here, then what we hear in these words is his own best attempt to be respectful. Jesus, I'm not here to try and figure out whether or not your ministry is genuine. In fact, we believe that it is. As a man with public ambition and respectability, Nicodemus is likely pretty good at saying what he thinks is the right thing and at the right time. He begins by letting Jesus know that he and others do support the good work that he's doing in the community. His words are honest to a fault. But it's also clear that Nicodemus has trouble moving beyond the formalities. We see this most clearly in his use of pronouns. Jesus has no trouble speaking for himself, and so he does. But Nicodemus uses we language and responds to Jesus impersonally, as though he were discussing hypotheticals or seeking advice on behalf of someone else, you know, a friend. Perhaps this is why Jesus answers Nicodemus in a way that gets right down to the heart of the matter. The fact that Nicodemus wants to get to know Jesus, it seems, while also maintaining his own public persona, using compliments and prestige as a means of keeping distance throughout the conversation. 
Famously, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again, which is, of course, no small thing for someone who likely comes from a well-to-do family. Though Nicodemus' first birth has advantaged him to succeed in the world as he has, what Nicodemus cannot see is that his own privilege seems to be getting in the way of enabling him to see clearly what God is up to. The image of new birth is one of realignment of relationships and priorities and values. No wonder Nicodemus' initial reaction to Jesus is one of dismay, because he has always known himself to be capable of doing whatever he has to do in order to achieve the outcome that he desires. A man of status, he has learned that given the resources and the time, it is possible for him to shape the circumstances in his favor. So when Jesus tells him that he must be born anew, Nicodemus does not know what to say because he knows that even he is incapable of accomplishing that on his own. Nicodemus' recognition of his inability to achieve in this case is key to recognizing what it is that Jesus has in mind when he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because our redemption is neither initiated or completed by that which we are capable of and make happen all by ourselves. Life is a gift, as is salvation and is thus a reflection not of what we can do, but of that which God can do in and through us. And let's be clear, the truth of which, today's, of which Jesus speaks in today's reading is not contingent upon our brains conceptualizing a rational principle. It is contingent solely upon the grace of God and of our openness to the work of the Holy Spirit whose life in us is the presence of the divine and nothing less than the very kingdom of God. Listen again and try to notice the language parallels as the story unfolds. A ruler of Judea comes to Jesus and says, I have seen and understand the signs that you do. Jesus answers the ruler, you cannot see God's kingdom unless you are born anew. The ruler says to Jesus, surely a man cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born. Jesus responds to the ruler, unless you are born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The image of new birth is a reflection of the new life that the Holy Spirit both sustains and makes possible. Jesus' words to Nicodemus denote not only the necessity of the Spirit's presence, but also the willing availability of God the Spirit to be manifest in the lives of all those who would place their trust in Jesus. The life of the Spirit of God is not peripheral to our faith, 
but is central to our identity as the people of God. The writings of the New Testament are consistent in their agreement concerning the bestowal of the Spirit by the one called Christ whom God would send. And this Spirit, given by Christ to his disciples, is the very life and energy and empowerment of the community known as the church as we seek to participate in God's mission on behalf of the world. Today is Trinity Sunday, whereby we are reminded of the being of God whose very life is in eternity a community of persons, each contributing in their own unique way to the one mission of the salvation of all things. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit neither act on their own behalf as though they were independent from one another. Instead, they work together as one, unified in the one purpose of redemption. Each participates in the work of creation and in the incarnation of the Son in Mary's womb. The Father loves the Son and sends the Son into the world. The Son is the very Word of God who from eternity becomes embodied in and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in the human life of Jesus. As the eternal Son of God, Jesus accepts the sending of the Father and so acts in accordance with the will of the Spirit throughout his life, following his death and resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, who was incarnate, ascends back to the Father, and in so doing also sends the church, bestowing the fullness of that same Spirit upon them without measure, that they may continue God's mission as willing participants in the work of salvation that God alone will carry to its completion. This is the new birth about which Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, the new birth unto salvation through which the life of God is found in us, the community of those who are called by the gospel and whose lives are renewed for service unto the mission and glory of God. To be born anew is to allow our lives to become aligned with the life and presence of the Holy Spirit and in so doing to bear witness to the character of the divine life, the triune God who is love and who so loves the world in order to redeem it through our own participation. The implications of God's own self-revelation as triune are many and significant. And as it relates specifically to today's reading, let us observe the following. The salvation of God in Christ through the Spirit is not God's plan B, but is God's creative intention from the very beginning. When the writer of Ephesians states that we have been chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world, what is being said is that our redemption is in Christ is the very fulfillment of the purpose of creation as planned. Life in the Spirit is not a new idea, but is a way of describing life as God intends. Jesus, as the Savior of the world, bestows the Spirit that we may become all that God created us to become. 
as it is later uh, written also in Ephesians, we are who God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. God's own life is offered to us, and it is by our faith and trust that we receive it, as it is also written in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whose great mercy we are given a new birth and to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. To be born of the Spirit, therefore, has consequences for the manner of our life together. If we are to live as a community of those who have been born anew, then the character of our life together need be a reflection of the character of the Spirit who is God. As we read also today from James chapter 1, God chose to give us birth by God's own true word, And we have become like the first fruits from the harvest of everything God has created. What does this mean? It means that the church is by definition a community of the Holy Spirit, a people who are called to bear witness to the life and redemption and character of the God who is community. And that means, at the very least, that we have a lot of sorting out to do as we undertake the reprioritizing of our values and gradually, over time, learn what really matters and unlearn what doesn't. The Holy Spirit, as the very love of God in relationship with each other, shapes every part of who we are, every aspect of our life together, every commitment that we uphold, every decision, Every obstacle, every moment becomes an opportunity to share in and bear witness to the very life of the triune God. If that sounds to you like a lot of responsibility, that's because it is. A lifetime of growing and being stretched and challenged and renewed and transformed. But we do not have to assume, like Nicodemus did at first, that we have to do it on our own. Because the truth is, we can't. But God can. God can make of our lives that which is beautiful, that which is faithful, that which is holy, that which is lovely, that which is just, that which is redeemed. That's all good and well. But what about Nicodemus? His appearance in chapter 3 is meaningful, but brief. And then it just sort of ends. Did he ever progress beyond his own perplexity? Wouldn't you know that when we finally come to the end of the Gospel of John, much to our surprise, Nicodemus 
is there, who after all is said and done, did not give up on Jesus after all. Or we might say that Jesus never gave up on him. Instead, there he is, hanging out with the disciples, helping them to wrap the body of Jesus in their grief and then lay him in tomb inside the garden near the place where he was crucified. And that's the last that we ever hear of Nicodemus. But of course, as you are well aware, the tomb is empty. Amen.